Welcome to the Scholarly Kitchen Podcast for October 16th, 2013. I'm Stuart Wills from Science Magazine. Today we're going to get an update on a couple of major community-driven initiatives in scholarly publishing and communication with someone who's been crucial both in bringing them along conceptually and in making them work technically. Howard Ratner is the Director of Development for the Chorus Project, a public-private partnership envisioned to facilitate public access to federally funded research under the mandate published early this year by the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, or OSTP. Previous to that, he was also a prime mover of ORCID, a community-driven project to facilitate a system of unique contributor IDs, which launched exactly one year ago today. And beyond these projects, he's had a long career in scholarly publishing, with leadership positions in technology and electronic publishing at Nature Publishing Group in Springer Verlag. I'm delighted to have him on the line now. Howard, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Stuart. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's start with Chorus. Uh, most of the listeners here probably know what this thing is, but can you quickly remind us of, of just what Chorus is and how it came about? Absolutely. So, as you rightly said, Chorus is a broad coalition of scholarly journal publishers that got together to, uh, to develop, implement, and steward a partnership with the federal research funders for providing public access to the results of federally funded research. This includes things like peer review, publications, agency reports, and associated data. Uh, this is all about helping agencies, researchers, publishers, and the public. Now, one of the things that's really important for you to know is that Chorus was actually incorporated as Core Inc., on October 1st, which is a Delaware not-for-profit entity. And the naming here is purposeful. So Chorus, the thing with the U.S., will be the first service um, that we're going to be focusing on during the next several months. However, we want to leave our options open for any international expansion as we need in the future. Uh, the goals here are all about meeting those requirements, as you say, from the OSCB memorandum. So it's leveraging existing infrastructure um, to make sure that we're preserving the agency funds for mission-critical activities and programs. The, the international dimension is kind of interesting, and we may want to get, get back to that later. But let's talk right now about the, the U.S. and Chorus. The OSTP memo uh, back in February mandated that federal agencies provide uh, public access plans no later than August 22nd. Obviously, that's a deadline that passed almost two months ago before... I think before the Chorus sort of pilot had even had, had really been built. So how did Chorus figure into those agency plans, or, or did it figure in? Right. So we timed our proof of concept so that it would be done at the end of August, exactly timing with when they were submitting, because we wanted to be in their thoughts when they submitted. And we met that deadline, Stuart. So the other thing to say is that all we know about uh, their submissions is that some of the agencies have submitted and met the deadline, and so OSDP is busy reviewing those. And by the way, there's also uh, the Office of Management and Budget with OMB, as they, as they call it. But we all also know that others actually haven't submitted yet. And obviously, they're waiting until the government reopens to do so. But what we do know from OSDP is that what they have received is a little bit all over the place. Those mm -hmm. things are under review. None of them have been made public. Okay, so that's an important thing ah, to note. Um, but we do have anecdotal evidence that at least a few of them are likely to have mentioned chorus. 
Well, you alluded just a few minutes ago to you know the to the fact that chorus uh, has has evolved a bit. You're now you the uh, the incorporated entity now is is it does not have U.S. in the name uh, to sort of leave open international uh, dimensions. I, I imagine that the technical architecture of chorus has also. Uh, uh, changed a lot uh, uh, since the time that it was just a gleam in publish in the publishing industry's eye. Uh, can you describe in general uh, how Chorus, as it stands now, is going to work, and, and what have been, you know, from your point of view, some of the more interesting challenges, technical or otherwise, to overcome with this project? First of all, as we mentioned at the top of the program here, Chorus is all about leveraging existing infrastructure. So when I came on board, I wanted to look around and make sure that we were doing just that. We want to reuse the uh, workflows and systems that so many of our authors and publishers already use and are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is very straightforward. So as an example, like all good things, it starts with the authors. They submit their manuscripts to the publisher by the usual manuscript tracking system, so there's no change there. And there the publishers are going to collect the normal bibliographic metadata, as they always have. But now here's the thing that's a little different, and this is where the fun ref angle comes in. That all the publisher needs to do is the prompt for one or two more pieces of information, a prompt about what kind of agency might have funded that research Mm -hmm. that led to that article. But the key there is to give them a taxonomy uh, to choose from. And there's about 4,000 of international names that are there, and obviously a subset of that is being used for the chorus. Bit. And, 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 and you're referring, and just, just, to, just to interrupt you, you're referring to the FundRef, uh, the FundREF project of CrossRef, which is to kind of create a, an identifier scheme for, for funding agencies. Exactly right. I mean, the, again, what we're all about is reusing what's already there. So I don't want to reinvent FundRef. So the idea here is to layer on top of systems like FundRef, layer on top of the CrossRef metadata database that's already there. Things along that line is we want to reuse. And then we also want to reuse things like the ORCID ID system. And so we're leveraging that as well. So that's another option. So if if the researchers have an ORCID ID, it even enhances it further. Mm -hmm. And so it it makes it very much of a virtual circle. And so the idea here is all of that then flows into, into CrossRef. And as you rightly say, it feeds the CrossRef metadata system, which in turn feeds the DOI system. It then feeds FundRef. And then one of the newer things that it's feeding is the new prospect system. And this prospect system has license tags inside of it. And so these license tags say what kind of uh, access licenses have been applied to that article. Mm-hmm. And that in then ter- then turn can enable all sorts of different models, including text mining and public access. And then finally, we have the the bit about archiving, because archiving was a big thing with the OSDP and the agencies. And so we want to leverage the existing archiving systems that we have and exploring how can the agency uh, trigger models get involved with existing systems like clocks and portico. So I guess one I guess one thing that's happened, you know, in the time that you've been spending building this pilot is the vision for uh, chorus has gotten a lot uh, a lot broader. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's so much that it's gotten broader. It's actually gotten more precise, um, and we know now how how to deliver the thing. And what we've also been doing is engaging with the various different stakeholders. So we've been engaging with the researcher community. We've been engaging with the uh, agencies, obviously. So we've been teasing out. What are some of the real needs that the agencies might have? What are some of those trigger events that they're going to want to deal with? What, what kind of access do they actually need? What kind of portals are they actually bringing up? Because what we want to do is we want to enable all of that. Um, but yet, the ultimate thing is we want to drive when uh, the results set back mm-hmm. to the publisher's site mm-hmm. via the DOIs. Because we believe that in a, a distributed system like that, 
where you have the articles residing on the publisher site will eventually be much far superior than anything else. Well, this is this may seem like a bit of a a bit of a sidetrack, but it is something I've wondered about, uh, and that's the dependence of Chorus on on the the FundRef initiative, which we which we've talked about. Um, Crossref's effort to sort of build this system of unique identifiers for funding bodies. Uh, earlier this month, uh, Crossref announced that 19 publishers were participating in FundRef, which is a great you know start from the program. But of course, it doesn't you know it's far from covering every organization in the business. Looking at this from the point of view of a, of a funding agency trying to comply with the public access policy and and thinking about various options, does the fact that that FundRef seems to be required to to use chorus and that not all publishers are are compliant represent a disadvantage in sort of selling chorus as a solution well the first thing to mention is keep in mind that the agencies had to submit their plans in august of this year and then they're going to be reviewed and then you can imagine that OSDP will come back with probably some answers by 2014 so you're not likely to look for any kind of agency implementation hmm. until, 25, until 2015. So this gives publishers a really good time to actually ramp up and get involved with FunRef. I always felt that FunRef, in fact, I was part of the initial planning for FunRef and involved with the pilot. The idea there is solid. It only went live into production in May of this year. Mm-hmm. But I would, I, would, I would totally agree with you, Stuart, that now is the time for publishers to, to get on board with things like FunRef so that by the time 2015 rolls around, it's going to be very simple for the publishers to comply. Well, a few other approaches have been uh, floated for compliance with this. For example, there's there's a library initiative called the, the Shared Access Re- Research Ecosystem, or SHARE, uh, and also the notion of addressing uh, OS, the OSTP mandate by expanding the existing PubMed Central Archive to become what some people are kind of colloquially calling PubFed Central, where do those alternatives stand uh, from your point of view, and what do you think they suggest for Chorus's prospects? Right. It's a perfect time for you to be answering this, asking these questions of me, because I just heard John Vaughn speak at the STM conference in Frankfurt, and what he was explaining about SHARE is that it's a proposal developed by the ARL, AAU, and a- APLU, and it's a what they intend for it to be is a cross-institutional network of digital repositories. And their intention is for that those digital repositories to then feed uh, the federal agency-designated repositories. Mm-hmm. However, now, you, you, that sounds very um, lightweight, and the reason is because, honestly, they've just had their first meeting last week, so I mm-hmm. think there's a long way to go for them. The other thing to mention, though, which I think is much more interesting for our audience here, is that the officials involved in SHARE and CHORUS actually met in August to discuss both of these initiatives and to explore areas of possible collaboration. And we actually came up with a few just immediately, right in that very meeting. Hmm. We agreed to work to work jointly on persistent identifiers and metrics. And so as I talk more about the dashboard, you can see that even Share will be able to leverage the chorus dashboard. And the intention is for us to follow up in the next several months as they start to understand better what their own system is, we can see whether is synergy. The PMC that is uh, we understand that the NIH has, has offered to host repositories for other agencies, but we also understand, and this is what's important, is that they're going to charge those other agencies a pretty steep setup charge. could be around $100,000, and then, more importantly, it'll cost roughly $75 per manuscript. Hmm. 
So I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound particularly friendly to the goals, goals of OSDP, mm-hmm. and it will take away significant money from important research. But, you know, I, hey, the P- PMC, they can use uh, pieces of, of chorus too. I'd be happy to speak to anyone at NIH because I think there are very likely synergies between what PMC is doing and what chorus is doing, and I think we can all work together to make all this work. Well, I think that in just the past few days, uh, if I if I'm not mistaken, uh, you have launched the you actually have sort of officially launched the chorus pilot, uh, correct? At the Frankfurt uh, STM meeting, um, where do where do we go from here now that the now that the pilot is live? Right. So we've done it in some stages. So the first stage was getting that proof of concept built by the end of August, and then we had pledged and have succeeded in getting the pilot built by the end of September. And again, keep in mind, this is building on top of things that already exist. This is why we're able to do this so rapidly. So we did launch. We launched with mostly not-for-profit publishers and some commercial players to a number of seven. So there was the American Chemical Society, the American Institute of Physics, the American Physical Society, IEEE, Oxford University Press, Elsevier and Wiley. And we had actually several more that were waiting in the wings until we actually launched the pilot. So I did multiple presentations at Frankfurt and the STM conference this week. It was very successful. The important thing to note is that this pilot comprises our four main services. So there's the dashboard service, which is going to help the agencies and publishers alike track the compliance. The second is the discovery service, which is going to help the agencies and their constituencies identify and find the relevant content, and those things sit on top of all of the, uh, the good cross-ref and fund-ref infrastructure. And then the text and data mining, as I mentioned before, that will be done by the prospect service and we also have our fourth service, which is dealing with the dark eye solution. So we really are hitting up four major areas um, of the OSDP mem- memorandum. And so any thoughts about, about the next steps uh, in the process? So I would say the next steps are we want to expand the pilot to include more publishers and more content. We want to make sure that what we have built is solid. We want to document it very well. We also want to integrate with agency portals as they come online. So we already know that there is a, a portal out there called Pages, from the Office of Scientific and Technical Information from uh, the Department of Energy, and there are other portals. So we're imagining in the next few weeks and months we'll be able to integrate them once the government comes back um, online. Well, let's talk for just a few minutes about another initiative you've been involved with, uh, ORCID, which aims to provide something like a DOI for individual researchers and allow them to sort of tie their uh, research records to that ID. Uh, As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a year to the day uh, since ORCID first launched. Uh, I don't know if you're still actively involved with that project, but uh, what can you tell us about its progress in the first year? So I am very proud to be one of the two co-founders of of ORCID, along with Dave Pachalko of Thompson Reuters. And I am still involved, but obviously Chorus is now my main thing. So ORCID is one of those rare opportunities where publishers might start something or conceive of something, and in this case, MPG and Thompson Reuters, but then discover that the issue is so much larger than the normal boundaries of publishing. Um, So it was essential to bring in international funding agencies, institutions, and researchers themselves into the mix. And in fact, we ended up making them part of the governing board because it became so essential. Mm -hmm. Having all these voices together, working towards a common goal, has helped steer this into an essential piece of the ecosystem. So how do we gauge the, the success of something like ORCID one year later? What, do you, what are the sort of metrics you're looking at, and, and, and what are they telling you? Obviously, one of the main things you want to do is, is how many ORCID IDs have been registered. So according to Lori Hake, the executive director of ORCID, 
orchid has just surpassed 318,000 orchids. And also, it has won multiple grants from worldwide sources. The latest is from Sloan, and this is being used to bootstrap integration efforts of the orchid ID system within universities' institution systems because it's critical that the institutions adopt this as well as publishers. So now's the time for publishers to really start to accept the ORCID IDs via their manuscript tracking systems as well as registration systems, and, then, and we can start to see that there's a lot of integration going on between publishers as well as uh, university systems as well as the granting bodies, too. And, so, and then the final thing to say, Stuart, is that there's exciting work going on specifically in Europe via the European branch of, of ORCID, for associating researcher names with data deposition with things like data sites. So this is all really exciting stuff. Right now, ORCID is very much about uh, sort of tying uh, this unique identifier to to research re- to a sort of a research record. Are there any um, any any efforts afoot to to look at ORCID as sort of a more a, a sort of a broader profile? You mentioned data, but uh, as a, as a vehicle for researchers to kind of create a, a a unique sort of online identity beyond beyond just their research record, the ORCA system is uh, based around the Open ID system, so it can be used in that same vein. But what Orchid doesn't necessarily want to become is the Facebook for science. Hmm. They would much prefer to be the registry for the researcher names and then really figure out and solve the disambiguation problem because that's what its main mission is about. So we've got two really exciting initiatives here. Where should people go to get a little bit more information and, and you know, kind of track these? Right. So both of these initiatives have very active websites. So for ORCID, you should go to ORCID.org. And for CHORUS, it's ChorusAccess.org. And both of those have, are kept up to date and have the latest information and usually have the latest presentations that have been given about the two projects. Well, Howard Ratner, thanks very much. Stuart, it has been my absolute pleasure. And thank you for dropping into the Scholarly Kitchen podcast for October 16, 2013. Be sure to visit scholarlykitchen.sspnet.org, where every day some of the sharpest minds in scholarly publishing detail, discuss, and debate the trends shaping the business. You can also comment on this podcast episode on its blog page, and we'd love to hear from you. Thanks to the Society for Scholarly Publishing for its support of this project and for hosting our audio files and to the American Association for the Advancement of Science for use of its studio and production facilities. This is Stuart Wills from Science Magazine. Until next time, on behalf of SSP and all of the chefs in the scholarly kitchen, bon appétit.